All right. Hello. Welcome to the Beyond Jiu-Jitsu podcast, episode number 59. We have a guest with us today, Mr. David O'Brien. Dave is a purple belt, a chef extraordinaire, owner of uh, a couple of catering companies, cook and waiter and food rascal. Not just your average party pies, a very good catering company. I can <laughs> speak to this firsthand experience. Every- so... Quick aside, as part of this intro. You've ruined my intro, bro. It was going so well. It was over. That was it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, welcome, Dave. Thank you very much. But I I have to to fill the audience in on this story. I missed out on, when when I first joined the gym, there was a catered event and it was like after a, a, a grading or after a comp or something like that. I didn't go to it. Then the next one I did go to and both events were catered by Dave's company. And holy shit, I vowed to myself that I will never, ever miss a catered event <laughs> from Dave again. I, I remember just posting up to the food table and just standing there for like two hours. It was yeah, good. it's um, <laughs> definitely like very good food. It's one of the things that I say to like a, a lot of my students. I'm like, oh, I've kind of set this standard now. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, you know, that, you know, because when I tell people about you, like, especially like foodie friends or whatever, they go, oh yeah, I've got Dave, you know, it's just the easiest way to explain it is, oh, he's got a catering company, right? But I'm sure you've experienced this. People just kind of think, oh, you know, catering company, okay, so they put out some finger food or whatever. Balls of nuts yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, that's or, right, yeah. 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 yeah, and it's like, that's not the case. So, you know, it's, you know, quite extraordinary catering. And now that, since you did the first like gym event now that's just like the standard like what am I going to do if if one day like even the last one was at such an inconvenient time for you and like just because of like work being really busy busy. and but you still managed to cater the event for us and I was like I don't know what I'm going to do when the time comes when Dave's like oh you know, I, I I can't I can't do it this time, or I've sold the business, or whatever. I'm like, I'm screwed, bro. Like, how do I how do I know now? Go to some like bags of Doritos and <laughs> sausage sandwiches. It'll be a riot. So, Dave, uh, let's um let's jump straight into it. So, your purple belt. I mean, I didn't give you your purple belt, but no. you're a purple belt with me. Yeah. Uh, you've been training with me for a couple of years now. But you started jiu-jitsu a long time ago and interestingly, you trained jiu-jitsu in Sydney when I didn't, like back in the earlier days. But before that, from any listeners who haven't picked up already, Dave's accent, right? You're not, you know, not born and raised in Australia, originally from yeah. Liverpool, Liverpool yeah. specifically. So just take us back to, you know, originally when you started training, why you started training and then, uh, you know, at what stage did you come over here and start training on the in, in Australia? Yeah, so just, you know, grew up in Liverpool in a time when, you, you know, like there was no, there wasn't much work going on. It was quite a rough city, Liverpool, you know. I kind of feel like you could, you know, a, a little bit like in, in the Brazil or in the South America or in places where like kind of, you know, how good a fighter you are is how you kind of get your respect around town kind of thing. You know, like that thing that was going on in Brazil a little bit. You know, you had to stand up for yourself. I always used to find that always was kind of quite obvious. Otherwise, you know, you'd get pushed out of the way. 
But then also, I also feel that like, you know, it was kind of just, it was just the, the way society was. I, it was a rough kind of, so boxed a little bit as a kid. I actually did Japanese jujitsu a little bit as a kid and kind of like moved through that a little bit. Sort of everyone in Liverpool boxes, you know, there's, there's lots of great boxers come out of Liverpool and great champions come out of Liverpool and great martial artists. Anyway, so like then moved away from Liverpool, got into the, the, the chef inside a thing at quite a young age, left school at a young age and started chefing around and, and then that took me into Europe, which kind of stopped the martial arts a little bit, took me into Europe, around Europe a little bit, and then eventually to Australia when I was about 22, 23. And then... Um, Did you, like, when you first came over here at that age, was that originally like a working holiday or did you pretty much move here at that age? I came here on a working holiday visa, but I, I knew I had plans to stay, you know, and, and kind of, like... I'll always be very thankful to Australia and I never, I never take it for granted because when I arrived in Chill Australia. Chill out, bro. ScoMo doesn't listen to this. So you'll be fine. Uh, like, <laughs> and I mean like the people and stuff and the group of friends I created and the opportunities that came around. Like I guess growing up in Liverpool in the north of England in the era that I did, right? Like the north of England had been in a recession my entire childhood, Right. So you, you kind of just think that life isn't about many opportunities and many things just come in your way or when you try a bit harder, things get a bit easier or you try a bit harder and things kind of start to happen for you. Like that kind of didn't happen sort of thing. Look, maybe it was me. Maybe I didn't try hard enough. I don't know. Maybe everyone else was finding opportunities. I don't, I don't know, but I kind of didn't. But as soon as I moved away from Liverpool and as soon as, you know, and I started working and started putting yourself around places and creating reputation for yourself or friends or whatever and, like things just kind of started to happen. So in Australia, got great opportunities, uh, landed some good jobs, met some inspirational people, you know, started making decisions about what I want to do and what, how I wanted to position my life and, and stuff like that. And, um, and like I said, you know, like uh, from, from arriving on a work and holiday visa, I got, uh, I got business sponsorship visas and stuff like that. As this was like through chefing? Yeah, through yeah. chefing, you know, and all of that kind of started to happen. And, and then... Um, you know, always, always had the plans, got this turning into a business punk podcast, always had plans to start businesses, you know, but um, sort of had really good jobs for about the first 15 years. So had these great jobs for great people. Like, you know, I've worked for one guy for 10 years, another guy for five years, another guy for three years, whatever. So, you know, I had really great jobs. But around 2000, 2001, decided to start to re-explore the martial art world. And, um, you know, went to like karate classes and went to... So just, sorry, going back to before you came over, like had you, you did some boxing and stuff, but did, had you done any jujitsu? Like you did a bit of Japanese, Japanese jujitsu. Was that really the only grappling you had done prior to coming over here? Yeah, but it wasn't really grappling either. It was more like self-defense. It would be all yeah. very like punch defense and like, and bear hug defense and that style of jujitsu. You know, they weren't like going like take down, you know, guard pass, you know, there's yeah, yeah. absolutely none of that, you know, like none at all. And like, they'd get like, I always remember the, the, the coach like used to put an apple on his head 
and the other coach had like whack the apple off his head with a wooden <laughs> samurai sword. And, you know what I mean? Like it was like even as a kid, I was a bit like, oh god. That's, can like, we do that? Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. A bit like a bit like imagine monk, the monk. public liability insurance claim coming through. Uh, <laughs> so so what happened again? Well, I had an apple, right? <laughs> yeah. A bit, you know, monkey magic kind of yeah, martial yeah. arts, you know, which which was part of when finding Brazilian jiu-jitsu and how practical and real and how no monkey magic moves. Like they were only teaching things that were tried and tested that worked, that were like yeah. really practical, re- you know, devastating to the opponent. You know what I mean? Like I was like, oh, this is the best thing, you know? So that was, but, so you know, early 2000s, you started re-exploring martial arts and you somehow ended up in a jiu-jitsu class. So really quickly, so it doesn't take ages, right? I was going around Sydney and I was doing like, I did like bloody all kind of funny karates and just stuff that was around and, and looking around. I did some kickboxing with Mick Spinks up in Kensington in that famous gym he had up in Kensington. And I always remember at the end of the class, they all used to start rolling around on the floor together, right? Which and I was like, it was like, what's yeah. that? You know, like, but never got involved in it. You know, that probably would have been before 2000. I just remember them all sweating and like, and looking really desperate on the floor. <laughs> and like, and, you know what I mean? But that was the first time I probably saw it, you know, it was like, you know, and walked away going, Jesus, what's that? What are those guys up to? And um, and then funnily enough, right, to apply for another visa, I had to apply offshore. So I went to Ireland. I had some mates in Ireland. I went to Dublin. We got this house. And then there was a martial art class in the, in the club next door. And I went upstairs. And it was all like, it wasn't a very kind, of, there was no monkey magic, right? They were like, they were all club doorman, Dublin club doorman, like tough guys, you know, and like their sons and their mates, and they were all just in there to train, right? One and a half hour class, the first 30 minutes punching, the second 30 minutes brought in kicks, which would have been like re- like just like roundhouse, really practical kicks, like quite kickboxing-y kicks, right? And then the third half an hour was grappling on the floor, right? Oh, okay. And then... Um, and these guys, and I loved them, and it, it went really well. It was right next door to my house. I was there. I think it was like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Every evening was training with them. And then in conversation with them, one of them went, oh, you need to look at this guy, like Hoist Gracie, and handed me like a videotape. Like, right? No way. You know what Kieran, I mean? Do you, Seriously? do you know what a videotape oh. is, Kieran? What? So, what? Yeah, for those <laughs> listeners out there. You're talking VHS. Yeah, like VHS. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was UFC 1, UFC 2, you know, wow. you know, blah, blah, blah. And was just like, who are these dudes? Like smashing everyone. And then got the visa, came back to Australia, and then um, literally I, I was driving to Manly from Bondi to train with Anthony Lange over there, who was a purple belt at the time, right? Like Elvis Sinisic was on the mat. He was a purple belt, right? Um, driving to Manly to train. And then I found a flyer one day of, and Paolo Guimarez of Roots had moved to Bondi Junction and that gym in Bondi Junction opened. And I just went there every day, all day, morning, afternoon, night, whatever, and um, when so at this stage you would have been mid twenties, late twenties, mm. late twenties, late twenties. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, I know a bit about Paolo. You know, Kieran probably doesn't know too much about him. Any listeners who have been in the Sydney scene a while would know 
yeah. a bit about him and his reputation or whatever. Uh, so just to give a, a bit of context to what I'm going to ask you to talk about now, is I guess you could say Paolo is definitely of a of a previous generation. Old school. Of, yeah. yeah, definitely a more old school, not even talking about his technical ability as a jiu-jitsu athlete, but just in terms of culturally, you know, is from that era of jiu-jitsu where it's like, oh, you're going to train at a different gym? Yeah. No, no, no. Like, I mean, then you quit jiu-jitsu. Like, it's either here or you don't train at all. You know, real that old school, really harsh team versus team and, uh, you know, not the sort of friendly love cuddling that we do nowadays in jiu-jitsu. What was that like? Because obviously that was your to some extent, your first experience at, yeah. at jiu-jitsu. It wasn't like you trained somewhere else and then walked into Roots and was like, oh, wow, this is very different. How was it those early days in Sydney? Because that was also not only your beginnings of jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu in Australia and particularly Sydney, it was super new then as well. Yeah. Well, there wasn't that many places to train. I always remember Paolo saying one day, or you'll go to Junction one day, go to Bondi Junction one day, and there'll be 10 gyms, right? And to me at the time, it just seemed so unfathomable. But like, I don't know if there's 10, but there's loads it's of gyms. Close. Right? There's loads yeah. of gyms in Bondi 100%. Junction, right? Yeah. I, often, I often say jiu-jitsu gyms are a bit like, a bit like cafes, you know? People just, people go, oh, I can make coffee and yeah. and and yeah. sell muffins and they and like just they yeah. just pop up. I can do everywhere. a nice dinner party. I yeah, think you know. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, obviously, you know, for some people that's enough, right? Uh, you know, oh, I just want my whatever coffee and muffin. I don't really care. But you know, obviously, then you can see the difference between like really good cafes and really bad cafes. But um, you know, yeah, there's not ten gyms in the junction, but. There's a lot, right? Yeah. Whereas yeah. previously, yeah, there wasn't really many options mm. of where you could train. Oh, there was like the one we were training at in Bondi Junction was like a was like a one of them cycling gyms, you know? Like you mean and like then, spin classes? Yeah, and then the, they'd mm. finish and then you'd move all that out the way and then you'd get the mats out and you'd put them all down and wow. stick them together yeah. and then you'd train on them and then the next class would come in and you'd rip it, you know, it was like, you know. Yeah. But like, oh, look, on, on to Paolo. Right? Like I, you know, I don't have a bad word to say about him. He's been very good to me. He's always been very good to me. You know, I speak to him maybe every six months or something, you know, and, and have a chat, you know, and, um, and, you know, like I say, I don't have a bad word to say about him. Um, what were the classes like? Right. So just into that whole thing and the experience I had training, yes, back to the start, there weren't many people to train with anyway, but yes, we were a closed gym. And I couldn't like go off and train with my shadow that was like Anthony Lange and mm. like no way in the world, you know? There was also, there was Marcelo had Gracie Baja and Bruno had um, Bruno Pano, Gracie Sydney, right? Mm. And they kind of split the territories up, you know? And this is how it, you know, like, so like Paolo was Eastern Suburbs, Marcelo was Northern Beaches, Bruno Pano was CBD and South or something, you know, so they right. really mapped out the turf, right? And then moved in and, and that, you know, and, and that was it. And they were, the, they were the only three black belts in Sydney, you know, at the, at the, you know, at the time. And um, there's actually funny stories about when they first arrived and all three of them 
worked on a door of a really rough pub in Manly. Yeah, there's some really funny stories. Wow. Like Paolo used to tell them every now and again. But like the three of them wouldn't I guess Paolo could could look like a tough guy, but Marcelo wouldn't and Bruno wouldn't. You yeah. know what I mean? And then like imagine all them big rough gangs of drunk Aussies and backpackers yeah, and whatever, yeah. like having a crack, you know, like just and then all of a sudden like Snap. three massive <laughs> black belt jujitsu situations all start doing their thing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, so, you know, but, um, yeah, so, the, the, and, and that was it. And, and, um, but the, I, I, from, from you, I remember you telling me previously, they were quite punishing the classes, right? They yeah. were very, you know, like real old school, harsh warm ups and. Yeah. But just on, on the not being allowed to train with other people, like it kind of seemed to make sense for me at the time because I didn't have, big groups of mates that trained at other gyms. You know the way now there's so many gyms and there's so many students, like you know people in other gyms. So you're like, oh, yeah. I want to train with that guy. Like it, it wasn't really like that. Everyone that I knew that trained, trained for roots, really. So it kind of, you just trained together. And then- I Well, there also wasn't the the same level of information sharing that you have nowadays. Like true. <clears throat> with the internet and everything. You know, like even when I, when I started training, it was still a little bit more, more closed off uh you know my whole move to brazil probably for the first almost three to four years i was looked at as an outsider yeah. even though i lived there and trained there twice a day every day you know it was still seen as like the foreigner learning our secrets yeah. but you know that changed while i was there and you know the amount of information that is accessible online nowadays and the amount of the fact that you can form relationships online and then that person trains at a different gym or whatever. So, you know, it, it makes more sense nowadays to be able to train at multiple places. Whereas yeah. like you said, back when you started, it just, it almost like you didn't need to question it. Like it just made sense. Right. Because yeah. it was, you know, by default was all a bit more closed off. Yeah. And then, you know, like I was, we were all entering every competition we could, which there wasn't many of them, mm -hmm. right? You know, the, the, like they started the federation for the for the state titles and stuff like that. The, the Pan Pacifics were already going. That was Peter DeBean in Melbourne and stuff like that. And, you know, there was, there was, we were all entering all the competitions. It was always the same people in the brackets, right? So, you know, we all had people recording other people's fights so we could watch what they're doing to win their matches and stuff like that. Just, you, know, you, know, you know what I mean? So it was quite like, yeah, you might not want someone from another gym in there to watch what your, you know, sound like yeah. a knob, like your competition game was going to be or whatever, because we were pretty specific and pretty focused on what we were trying to do, you know? So maybe it felt right, you know? And, um, and yeah, like with... The information as well like in the early days there was like none you know like the, we were sending to brazil for video tapes of like gordo half guard and yeah. stuff like that remember them <laughs> yeah, that yeah. set of dvds would you know gordo the, the half guard his, master like no one idea. black belt world titles with his half guard techniques right that were you like might sweeps not, you and, might not know this but like half guard back in the day was revolutionary. Like the way that, you know, bolos came along and at the moment it's all like K guard and heel hooks. Like at a point in time that was half guard. 
You know, wow. half guard previously was only seen as this position that was like trying to save face between close guard and side control. Yeah. Half guard was this, oh shit, you're a almost bit of a getting down. Yeah, it was almost like the person on the bottom is just stalling to not end up in side control. Wow. So Whereas now, think, like, yeah. it's quite naturally, like, it's automatically, well, half guard is good, can be good for the person on the top or the bottom. I mean, without conversations like these, for someone like myself, new to the sport, I take all of this for granted. Like, yeah, I hear people say, oh, you know, you know, it's such a new sport, it's always evolving, but that doesn't, I, I, I mean, I understand those words, but I don't, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't really like you understand haven't the yet firsthand no. seen the evolution. I haven't seen, I, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Perhaps in 10 years when there has been more game developed, more n- newer positions like, I don't know, Panda Gut. <laughs> Panda Gut or, or Tarantula Gut. No. Uh, you know, throw back to a previous episode. Uh, but yeah, until I see it myself and I'm saying the things that you guys are saying, I don't think it's 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 hard to understand that, you know? Well, it's mm. like when, when you first started training with me, you had had a little bit of time off, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I remember, I can't remember whether you brought it up or I brought it up, but we got into a conversation essentially that, you know, all the right ingredients for you to do well in jujitsu were there, but your current style for lack of a better word was, was super outdated. Yeah. Right. And like, it's, I mean, it's still a, a, a good style that can work, but it's, it needs to be brought yeah. up to date with, what people are currently doing in jujitsu because it does change and evolve so much. And, and I always give analogies similar to, to, you know, any, any industry that constantly changes like medicine or law or engineering or something like you can't, if you were a doctor and you just took yeah. five years off and came back, like medicine changes, new, new, antibiotics are invented different ways to perform surgeries are discovered like and that's why we love jiu-jitsu and that's why people who get into it and do it for their whole life enjoy that it is a never-ending pursuit of you know even the best guys in the world like you know even gordon ryan doesn't know everything yeah Bushesha doesn't know everything you know you, it's not possible to know everything and it's changing so much and and yeah just you yet haven't seen the evolution firsthand but you'll look back in five, 10 years and, and you'll go, oh man, I remember like when, when, you know, K-Guard was the hottest thing on the market. Whereas, yeah. you know, now it's, oh, not many people do K-Guard anymore because things also come in and out of, of um, you know, of fashion. And I think uh, you can draw a lot of parallels between like cooking and chefing 100%. and yeah. jujitsu, you know, things yeah. like, it's not like all of a sudden people stopped enjoying the taste of whatever smoked salmon, mm. but it'll go through phases yeah. of being really popular. And as yeah. someone who's like we established at the start, not making party pies, like you were doing high end food, mm. right? Like you're very knowledgeable and, and know what is currently, uh, you know, like, yeah, what people are enjoying to have served. And things go in and out of fashion, right? So kind of to, to turn it to food a little, right? It's like, the, it's like the burger or the chicken schnitzel, right? They're great dishes and they've transcended generations for a reason because they're, can I swear, fucking great yeah, dishes, yeah, right? And then, but via popularity, they destroy themselves. So burgers became shit and schnitzels became shit. Like every pub had a shit schnitzel and yeah. a shit burger. 
So it becomes shit. Yeah, you would the, order it. So your friend would be like, bro, come to this pub. You get a burger, you get a schnitzel and a beer, five bucks. Yeah. And then you get it and be like, oh, this is why. It's yeah. five bucks. Rubbish. Right? <laughs> so its own popularity destroys it because everyone just starts doing terrible versions of it and weak versions and poor versions or cheap versions or whatever. And it becomes awful and it gets mass produced and it gets whatever. And then a few people go, hang on the burger can be great, yeah. right? And they go and get the right bun, get the right meat, get the right dress and get the right thing, cook it properly, serve it properly. Do you know what I mean? And that's what's happened with burgers. Now there's awesome burgers around town and now there's awesome, like things just dip back in and out and get. And it's, and, the, same, it's the same with jujitsu mm. and like, and because it's also influenced by, um, by, you know, certain techniques that, that clash with each other. So I don't know, like, I'm just trying to think something off off the top of my head. Uh, you know, let's say, you know, oh, a period of time like half guard's really popular and then so as a way to, to deal with half guard, you know, people start doing, okay, I'm going to do like rolling bolos from the top to deal with half guard and then all mm. of a sudden like half guard falls out of popularity but then as a way to deal with like rolling back takes, people start doing whatever other technique and all of a sudden like – you know, because people's styles and what's popular and what's countering what kind of, you know, comes around full circle and almost all of a sudden people are doing half guard again to counter, you know, whatever yeah. it is that wouldn't that is currently that be like pressure passing to avoid legging things. That's a great example, actually. Yeah. So, you know, you would remember back, you know, in, in your early days that that was all kind of jujitsu was to put it like as a, real bland statement it was like be heavy on top top yeah. pressure passing yeah. blah 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 and then you know that kind of fell out of popularity you know as people got really good with with their guards and then people like learnt to to play guard or yeah, whatever so, heaver stuff yeah, really rose and yeah all exactly yeah. and people started <clears throat> standing up to pass and, and yeah. then all of a sudden now with uh, bolos in the gi and leg entanglements in no gi. Now people are starting to go back to that, like on your knees, heavy pressure passing, uh, you know, heaps of body lock body pass lock, DVDs yeah. that are yeah, coming yeah, up yeah. nowadays. And it's like, it's like coming back to, well, people were pressure passing back in the early days, but it kind of fell out of popularity and fell out of not only popularity, but it's usefulness because of, the other techniques people were doing. So it constantly kind of comes and goes. But it's <clears throat> but well. it's a new it's like what you said with with the the schnitzel and the burger. It's like it's like okay that pressure passing is back, but it's like a different yeah. version of it. Yeah. In the it's form out of, of body rethink, like, Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, so it's yeah. in the first COVID lockdown in 2020, you did with um I think you did it through food rascal, not mm. not cook and waiter. So <laughs> Dave determined two. to turn this into a food podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting hungry, boys. Yeah. I haven't had breakfast yet. <clears throat> I'm still thinking so, about that burger. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Cook and Wait is your main um, company. Yes. Look, that, that question kind of needs answering. Like, so both of them are a premium offering, right? Both right. of them are a premium offering. Cook and Waiter, arguably, right? I don't think there's going to be many caterers listening to this that I'll piss <laughs> off. Cook and Waiter, arguably, is Sydney's leading event. What are they, even specialist. if you piss them off, what are they going to do, Dave? You're a purple belt. Specialist, <laughs> specialist event caterer, right? And, and, it's, and it's in this prime position, 
enviable position where it's got really, really, really solid client base. It's got a really good reputation. It's got a, it's, it's got a really great team. Lots of the team have worked for, for five and six years and stuff like that. And it's in, like it's a really excellent excellent business. I, I love Cork and Waiter. Yeah, if you go on and look at the your client list, like it's yeah, you know, like I feel honored to have you, like you know. Cater, you know, I've got, <coughs> I've got the same caterer who's catering events for JP Morgan and you did a massive Porsche event, right? When Porsche launched their the new electric car. The electric car. Wow. We're doing you know, an Audi one next week. Right. Wow. Like you know. big, big clients. Mm. And then, and then you throw in there and Alliance Sydney. As seen on. But that's, it's, that's cook and waiter as well. Right. It, it doesn't matter if it's you know cupcakes and sandwiches and chocolate brownie in the park or if it's like you know Porsche or the gold dinner the big charity gala that happens or or the the massive corporates or whatever it's the same detail it's the same yeah, like we level have- it's the same you just do the best version of that or the best version of that you do these you know little I mean? chicken sandwiches that Hanada my wife absolutely loves mm. and i remember like the the very first um time you catered for me and yeah like you go oh chicken sandwich little finger chicken sandwich and i remember you telling me like how the chicken is prepared and i'm like god damn that's why it's so good like it's not just a chicken sandwich you know it's like yeah. this whole process to Anyway, so that's I can't go. I can't go through that process in case there's another case. Yes, yes, and I've already forgotten it. But, you know, but, yeah. you boil the whole chicken, right? And you take all the skin off, like boiled, soggy, wet chicken skin. You take that off, right? And then you shred all the chicken off the carcass, and then you chop all that up. And the key, the trick, the secret is you get that boiled, yucky chicken skin, and you put a big pinch of salt in it, and you puree it in a in a blender and it just looks like disgusting like wishy-washy chicken fat and then you pour that in wow. right you put it back and in, then yeah. and you put that in and then you got mayo and herbs and nuts and da 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 and all the rest of it and then it's and it's like what the fuck's different about that sandwich and yeah. it's that chicken skin well, it's thing. A, yeah it's wow. like the, i guess mm. like the fat content, the, like the, right? yeah that's like the, the you know mm. the classic one is when people go, man, why is it whenever I go to like go out and have mashed potatoes, it's so much better than my mash at home. It's like, cause you don't see how much butter yeah. <laughs> they mm. put in it, you know? So mm. anyway, that's cook and wait a bit. And food I, rascal. So, so food rascal, <clears throat> food rascal came first before cook and waiter, right? I actually bought cook and waiter to be honest. I worked for it for a few years, a few years before, but I bought cook and waiter, but I started food rascal and food rascal was a way of kind of, you know, before it had a team, I'll say a way that I could operate in the hospitality industry in whatever capacity I wanted to operate. So if like someone came in and said, hey, my business is getting really stuffy. I need the menus freshening up and the aprons and the uniforms and the cutlery and the da-da-da, can you do it? And I'd say yes. And I'd, Food Rascal was like a hospitality solutions or something like that kind of business, right? Or can you just do an event for us? Can you just, you know, catering? Like, yeah, sure. So it was a bit of like a... a- hospitality slash catering equivalent of, you know, a handyman service, you know, like, I guess, you know, I guess kind of so. like, it's like, Oh, I can do a little bit like, you know, I'm an electrician also slightly, you know, if you need this little yeah. thing fixed at your house, <clears throat> kind of like a handyman for catering. But what of. I, what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to start like, like David O'Brien 
delicious catering company, some naff <laughs> catering business that was like, oh, great, here I am. I'll do your fucking catering jobs. Yeah. Like, so I just want, I, for my own career, I didn't want to pigeonhole my business into like, I just do this, right? So I started to try and sell it as food solutions, hospitality solutions, whatever, see what comes, you know, like, and then cook and waiter. I was approached by the guy who owned cook and waiter. He said, want to buy this, right? And he'd had jack of it. It was in a really good position. It was really well branded. I understood the brand and the clientele because I'd worked for it for, for two or three. I was head chef of it prior in, a, in another time. So that all made sense. So then did Cook and Waiter. Cook and Waiter just got instantly massively busy and I had a bit of a rebirth. And that kind of pushed Food Rascal out of the picture a little bit without time to work on it, right? And, um, and then so now I'm in this really great position, hopefully this year, where both businesses are going to start to have, like Food Rascal's got a really amazing contract in a city with a big corporate where we provide management services to all of their hospitality requirements, cafes and event spaces and boardrooms and all this kind of stuff. It's a great thing. And there's a couple of other things in the pipeline for it, a few consultancies. And so Food Rascal's in this great spot too. So hopefully both businesses, we can find this little this little level pegging. But back to what I know you were bringing up is the brisket packs <laughs> yes, in lockdown. Yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> this is how we got onto this, reinventing the burger. So in the first lockdown, uh, like everywhere in the world, it was- Oh, that's it. We did burger packs too, didn't we? Yeah, yeah it was yeah, like yeah, unprecedented, right? Like we didn't, you know, no one really knew what was going on, how long were businesses going to be closed. So you had done these brisket packs, which were essentially kind of like, I don't want to say- like the only, the only one that's coming to my mind is is HelloFresh, but not the same thing at all. But it was like that kind of idea where, hey, here's all the ingredients that you need to make said meal, just follow mm. these steps. But it was more prepared than HelloFresh, right? So Dave did these brisket packs where it came with the burger buns, like all the condiments were already made. So all the pickles were already made, the coleslaw was made, everything was made. The, you essentially just had to heat up the brisket and put it all together. So potato rolls, smoked brisket, or them Wagyu burgers, Zuni pickles from the place in California. Best pickles ever. Big Mac sauce, you know, our version of Big Mac sauce. You know, everyone's tried to work it out. Um, a lettuce, a tomato, and was that it? And then you could get sides of coleslaw. I think, and stuff yeah, like that. but you know. it's still like one of the best burgers <laughs> I've ever had. And one of my best friends is a massive foodie. So much of a foodie that he recently he recently just put in his apartment. He only lives in a one bedroom apartment. Got an old fridge. Bam! Turns Smoker. it into a meat curing cabinet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, good you on know, him. Big, yeah. I've met big, him. Yeah, you've met him. Yeah, big yeah, foodie. Yeah. And I remember I was like, Dave, I've got to get one of these brisket packs for my friend Matt. Yeah. And 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 you know, you sent him one for me, and him as well. It's just like every, every time I have anything to do with you, he's pissed off that like I don't invite him and my, Matt's one of my best so you've friends. you've got to start jujitsu yeah, yeah, to come exactly. to the jujitsu party. Exactly. He doesn't, he doesn't yeah. train, right? And, he, and anytime we have something in the park, he's like, maybe I'll just, you know, conveniently be in the Walk park past. at the same time walking past, you know? <laughs> Dave, while you're on, I did have something I wanted to ask you. Mm. When it comes to running multiple businesses, mm. as, as in your own words, yeah. like one of, if not the, most successful catering companies in Sydney mm. right now. How does jujitsu 
affect your ability to run a business? Does it? Do you find it improves your your critical thinking and your your management skills and dealing with pressure and stress, or is it? Are they separate in your mind? Or talk uh, us through that. Uh, I I think you know, like, um, <clears throat> I, I I didn't train for a while, like like. Uh, Adam just mentioned, right? So even even in that time, it might be like I might have done the odd role with friends for about five years. Right? It was about five, like in between. Yeah, gyms. E- easy, yeah. right? And and at that time, that five years, I worked for Maryvale in the city. You know, the the group Justin Hemmers' business with all of the amazing venues and all of that it was an amazing opportunity for me. It was a great job. It went very well. Jujitsu just didn't seem to fit in with my lifestyle right then, right? So like I said, a few roles and this and that. But even at that time when I was quite distanced from jujitsu, like, like you, I just think once you've submerged yourself in the jujitsu world, you will always refer back to it and you'll always just naturally kind of, because a good example, I, I don't know, in lockdown one, right? And when all of a sudden, like we went from, I went from having two businesses that were like, like, like ruthlessly busy, right? And demanding, right? Cook and Waiter was at this, like this gallop, right? That was just, you know, off the chart, right? Incredibly busy, you know, like a, a team of 60 to 80 people, Fuck. you know? Like, you know, it was pumping, right? And um, and then all of a sudden, like this COVID thing, right? I remember it, like the day-by-day steps that we walked through to it going to like, nothing zero business like like nothing at all it's all gone and you don't know how long it's gone for right and and in that time and throughout that time I kind of like you know you there was a really scary part where you didn't really know what was going on and then when it all locked down and when it was all shut and it was all gone and it was then you kind of like I kind of thought right oh I now understand who or what the opponent is, you know what I mean? We're shut. We're into like, we're, we're into, we, we've got to stay safe. We've got to gather ourselves and get together and look at it analytically, the situation. It just became became clear. And then you kind of, as you're moving through it, you, you kind of, you're feeling pinches and you're feeling stress. You kind of think back to jujitsu almost like, all I need is one little gasp of air now. All I need is one little gap to get an arm out all i need is one you just kind of start to treat it like there's there's always an escape and there's always a there's always i love that analogy dave's having a you know super stressful time at work and he's think and then all of a sudden he's like you shouldn't have given me that underhook bro (laughs) he's out just just he's like closes the deal give me a chance or or just fucking breathe you know what I mean? Just breathe. Just just get yourself into a position where you can get some air. You can get yourself safe. I, I don't know. Like the other thing that's that's like that I find really helpful. And you know, we just went cooking ways. I just went, which you guys know because I didn't train. But like the last week of November and all of December was demonstrously busy as well, right? Because like it all kind of came back for a little while. You know, it was just like went through us like a bloody tidal wave. You know and and um, and kind of in that, and and that was different in a way because I didn't have a team of eighty to do it with because there's no team around, right? And everyone's doing different things or whatever. 
So it was very short. I was head chef again, right? I hadn't been head chef of a kitchen for a long time, but I had to take that on because I didn't have anyone, right? So, and then I find a good way to look at things, even if it's a, a, a month-long period or if it's like a four-hour period or it's a day where you've got five events on that are all in different parts of town and you're shitting yourself, you just go, it's just a five-minute round, right? <laughs> it's a five-minute round. Today is a five-minute round. The next three weeks is a five-minute round. You know, you kind of walk out and you feel it out and you're looking at it and you're assessing what it is. You know, you engage, you start to feel whether you're going to get the better of this or whether you're not getting, oh, I'm under pressure, I'm getting beat, what do I need to do? I need to push. And then, like, when you're getting towards the end of it, you go, it's okay, it's only a minute left. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. we're getting there, we're nearly, I, I don't know. Like, I just use analogies. I, I think I think they're the obvious ones, but I, I just think jujitsu gives you a, gives you like a rigorous mindset and gives you a really steady, stable way of looking at things. And, and maybe also hopefully makes you humble and makes you treat people right. And we hope so, you know, and, and also maybe makes you, gives you the courage to stand up for yourself when you need to, or to, to square your shoulders and say something that needs saying, you know what I mean? Like there's things like that are hard. The moments are like that are hard. And if you haven't had any kind of experience in that stuff or, or, or you haven't had any experience in the situation you're in, you know, like, I've been challenged with these businesses uh, moving into like quite corporate environments, like the contracts in the city. I had a big, another big contract with a really massive global firm at Barangaroo for a while there. And all of a sudden I'm sitting in boardrooms with people in suits and they've all got their spiel and their, and their, their corporate tangle that they get you in and the whole thing, you know? And, and I just found, you know, I had to kind of settle myself and, find balance and find a clarity and to, 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 to deal with them situations. Cause in hospitality, I'd never been in them, you know? So I don't know. I, I, I think it affects me a lot and I use it a lot and I, you know, in well, diff different ways. Well, it's obviously, you know? you know, it wasn't, even though you've kind of had time off, like you've always come back to it because when you got into jujitsu, you know, there was, um, I'm not going to say it's not like you don't take it seriously now, but there was obviously a period of time where you took it very seriously. Mm. And if anyone's listening, like while you're listening to this episode, you can find oh. on, on our Instagram some um, some old photos of you, Dave. So uh, this I is mean, a great opportunity to, <laughs> to segue up, to segue into what we found. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, we've got some some old photos of of you, Dave, from I think you were a blue belt, 2003. And, yeah, and mm. even, you know, enough, we're into it enough that you went to Brazil, right? Yeah. With with the team, with Paulo mm. and everything. Mm. Uh, your first time to Brazil or yeah. definitely would have been- to Brazil. Definitely would have been your first time yeah. in Brazil with a, like for jiu-jitsu reasons. And this was for the uh, BJJ World Cup at the time. Yeah. That was in Brazil for those And listening. the IBJJF as well. Ah. Oh, so yeah, they, they, right. they, they used to put them on in the same week. Well, IBJJF used to pick its date. Yeah, and then yeah. World Cup used to just tag into the same week. I think I think oh, that's how it used to happen. So know? we've got so uh, they so they had the, the inbound people. So they had everyone that was in town. Or yeah, was, I'd love to hear about that experience because going over there in 2003 to Brazil to compete as a foreigner, mm, what was that like? Mm, yeah, it was amazing. Um, like I think sometimes, and maybe. I've done it in business recently too, as well. Like, I think sometimes naivety is your best friend. Naivety is beautiful, you know? Like, and we actually talked before this podcast about underthink, overthink, yeah. you know, and, and the, the balance between that and how 
you know, you can envy underthinkers sometimes that just seem to do, do shit. Yeah, the whole do, like just do, do shit, you know. Bliss, right? Yeah. yeah. But um, like, I, I don't know. Was really focused, was training hard, was doing all the classes. Just to answer your question in one sentence, you said, what were the classes like back then? They were very hard earlier in the podcast. You said, like, we were doing 600 sit-ups before class, oh, right? Fuck. 600 sit-ups and every, there'd be like sets of 50, right? And between every 50, like 20 or 30 push-ups, right? Different variations of push-ups, hands close, hands wide, whatever, like clap, whatever, you know? Like you'd be fucked, you know? Ooh, before I feel sad for everyone training tonight in my class. Right? <laughs> yeah, I'm taking a rest. <laughs> yeah, hectic, you know? At the time, uh, Alex Prates was a purple belt. You know, Alex who trains Robert Whitaker. Yeah, He's yeah. with the Sydney uh, Gracie Sydney team and stuff like that. He's a black belt now, has been for a while. He was purple belt. <coughs> ruthless warm-ups, ruthless kind of, you know. And then so entered, like, won the state title, um, won, drove to Brisbane, won, like, the Brisbane thing or something, and then, and then sort of, like, did quite well for a couple of years, like, you know, winning stuff, you know. Um, lots of the same opponents, uh, granted, you know, so you get to learn each other's style and stuff. It's not quite as, you know, but won a, won a couple of state titles, won a couple of Pan Pacific golds, went down there. That was really big. It was really exciting, you know, as if you'd ever picture yourself winning a Pan Pacific gold medal in anything, you know, and then did, did that, won that. And then there was like talk around the gym of going to Brazil, you know, and, um, and then Philippa and Andrew, two very good, good, good friends of mine that, that you know, their daughter trains with us now. Yep. There's talk of whatever. <laughs> mentioned that on the podcast. Um, <laughs> there's talk of Philippa and Andrew, of, of Philippa coming and coming and doing some roles with us, not so much Andrew. Well, she and, said, she said, she like, I, you know, yeah. listeners will know I had elbow she, surgery and Philippa was like, oh, once you, you're back to training, I'll come train with you. And then she brought Ella, her daughter, in to train. And I'm like, Philippa, what happened? She's like, cut her yeah, thumb off pretty yeah. much. Not, oh, not yeah. didn't cut her thumb off, but cut her hand really bad. And I was like, well, I'm training. And she was like, well, look at my hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, not Andrew, but when Andrew comes to watch Ella, you know, I'm always trying to do a little yeah, bit yeah. of, is the word coation? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I don't know, just training like a madman, the, the the three of us, but there was a really good circuit of really hard trainers, competition trainers in the gym, you know, great, really, really good. Uh, Paolo was, uh, was a really, you know, really hard ta task master, yeah, and, um, you know, and, and just, just went with the flow, and then... Like I said, one locally, and then it was an opportunity to go to Brazil, to go to the world. So the next thing you know, you've bought flights and you're going, you know. And um, and then, you know, I always remember, like, the, the training and, and getting ready. We, we started freestyle wrestling as well, right, which was really good, really good for, you know, as we all know, for, for endurance and for, you know, and, and, and of course, the, the balance on the stand-up game and, and being really solid base in the stand-up. We all kind of got this quite a solid sort of style of game from doing the freestyle wrestling classes with Igor, with big Igor, yeah, and right. with, you know, and, and just a bit of a pattern, bit of a, bit of a thing started to, started to form. And then, and then, um, yeah, the, the next thing, you know, we're in Brazil and then we're in the, we're at, we, we trained at Gracie Baja in, in Brazil, you know, and you like, I, I just, I just remember standing outside the gym, Gracie Baja, right. 
Baja Beach in Rio and standing outside and I was on my own and I just had the biggest like you are not worthy moment, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Like I, I, I do not deserve to fucking walk in here, you know, like, and then. But you did, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, and they're big lessons, you know, like. And, and how did you go at the, the competition? Like how, how was it then going from competing here to competing in Brazil? Well, um. Dave's like, I didn't make weight. <laughs> <laughs> nah, they, they, I don't know. It, well, just in the, you walk in the gym, right? Like Hodger Gracie's in there with a brown belt on, right? Braulio's in there with a brown belt. Gordo, half guards in there, you know, like uh, Pedro Pano, uh, you know, Carlos Gracie sitting on his plastic stool next to the wall under the picture of his father. You know, we, when you we, we were told when you arrived, you go straight over to him and say, hi, you know, are we allowed to train and stuff like that? You know, all of this kind of, it was really, really magic, magic moments. And to see all them people and then to just see the army of fucking blue belts that are about my size all thrashing the fuck out of each other. <laughs> You're just like, ah, what am I doing here? Oh no. And then you just get get into it. And then, and then so in the... In the in the World Cup, which was first, which we only really realized was on when we were there. Um, and we went in and I did masters in that. I was 29, I just fell in and I did masters and and I won the gold. There. Oh, did you? Right. I won the gold in that, right? Holy shit, that's awesome. And 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 it was funny as well. I was 67 kilos, I know, who, who would have thought? 67 kilos, but somehow they put me in 73. Right. And, and I just competed. I didn't realize. So I competed in 73. I remember coming out and you know, these guys just look a bit bigger, you know, <laughs> maybe that's a world championship thing. People <laughs> just look bigger, <laughs> like they're, they're bigger or they cut weight in a different way and stuff like that. And, and they were a bit stronger, but I was going, but they can't be. And then, so I just, I was like, okay, be fast, right? Be fast, be, be, be sharp, be quicker you know, like make, make, make decisions quick and move quicker and, and get ahead, you know, and that thing where you get ahead, stay ahead, you know, and, and, and yeah, and I, and I won the final with an arm bar, you know, nice. and w which was nice. And it was really funny because like the, the final class I'd had in the gym, the last role I had before I, before, before we left, I had like a, where you're, in guard and you've got a full arm bar on someone, but they're like standing up and they've got their arms straight and mm. you're sort of wrapped up the side, you know, and they're, they're standing. And I always remember pushing really hard to get it and not getting that arm bar. He got it out, right? And walking away from the last roll, not achieving right. what I wanted and being like, fuck, you know, like, like that, that's it. I've failed, you know, like kind of, and ended up in exactly the same arm bar position in the final of that fight. And being like, not this you're not fucking yeah. getting out of this, buddy. <laughs> you oh, know, like, so, no way. That you know what I mean? Unreal. You are not fucking getting out of this. Like, bang. You know, like it's just that amazing little, whatever that is. You wow. know that that you've 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 I've missed this armbar once. I didn't yeah. Enjoy it, you know, so you know, so that was good. And 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 look, like I know it was like Masters, World Cup, whatever. But like. It was a bit of fun, like, you know, the media were over because we were the gringos, yeah. you know, and whatever. Like, by the way, Philippa and Andrew won on the same day as well, and Paolo, right? Yeah. yeah. So, like, it was a bit of media, and then the media were the next day, and then and then 
even before it, because we were gringo, someone said to us and said, oh, will you wear this patch on your gi? We'll sponsor you. Like, I yeah. don't know. It was just like, in a really little way, it was, it was fun. You know, it was a fun well, little era. So looking you know? at a couple of the photos on Instagram, tell me, how ridiculous did you feel wearing a gi up at Christ the Redeemer to take that photo? <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't. That was Photoshop. Oh, yeah, we did that oh, photo. no, no, we didn't. It was there. It was there. It was, we didn't have that technology then. No, no, no. We did. We took the gis in a bag. We put them on. We them <laughs> the That's epic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good. good. for the grand, It was baby. good. It was in the moment, you know? Like, yeah. It was in the to moment. Be, to be honest, like Christ, Christ of the Redeemer is one of those spots that, you know, it's like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. If you're one of those people taking those photos that looks like you're holding it up, you're just like one of like a million other people yeah. that are doing it. So it's like you go to Christ the Redeemer and there are so like you got to almost bully people out of the way to, to get, get to get in the in like the shot where you guys are yeah. where it's where it's you and then the Christ in the background. Man, there are so many people there taking that exact same photo. That's yeah. quite hard to wiggle your way in to get to get the photo. But um so then IBJJF Worlds were a week later, right? I kind of feel like I peaked a little, you know, like I wasn't a professional athlete. I was just trying my best, you know. I kind of felt like I peaked a little bit for for the um, the World Cup and then kind of like got a bit crook in the week and then kind of competed anyway. And in, in my first fight, got swept over, kind of then got controlled a little bit, a bit of a frustrating first match and didn't win, you know. A match that you've, Walk away from you felt you could win, but something happened and you didn't quite whatever. Yeah. You know? now, yeah. And now tell me, you know. did you get crook because I spoke to Nicole a little while ago prior to this podcast, Nicole being Dave's wife. Oh my god, um, what's, what's coming here? <laughs> really? No, no nothing. I'm, I'm waiting as <laughs> no, well. Nothing, <laughs> nothing super sinister, but um, but she told me that you did have um a rather unhealthy addiction to acai did you oh i went fucking purple (laughs) (laughs) yeah i looked like that fucking girl on charlie in the chocolate factory the little blueberry that floats away is that maybe why you got crook dave you ate a little bit i don't know what because i turned purple and floated away (laughs) maybe (laughs) yeah Oh, try to like get the, that acai in Jesus powers, it's right? Like yeah. The, yeah, it's the equivalent of like, you know, when someone goes jaundice, right? That's liver failure and turns yellow. Dave's got, turned purple from eating too much acai. But it's, you know. It's hard to say, no, mate, you can give me a tub of like four kilo acai. I can be like sick to my stomach, but still when I have that last spoonful, yeah. I'm like, no, oh, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter how much of it I eat. When it's gone, you're sad. Mm. Yeah. But, you know, you just go with the flow. And as well, like, back then, the whole, like, diet thing to compete at that level was a bit elusive to me as well, you know? Like, I just went with the flow and, like, I you know, like, I didn't really, really yeah, know. The, yeah, that's know? how it was. Like, you know, Fabio took, you know, Fabio won Worlds four times in the late 90s, early 2000s. And, um, you know, he even said, like, back in his day, yeah, of course, everyone was still tough and really good, but it wasn't like today where white belts train like professional athletes. He was like, oh, man, we trained like once a day and we went down and hung out at the beach and, you know, we didn't do strength and conditioning or anything. Mm. We just trained once a day and we were in Rio. It was either beach or training and that was it. And those were the people you were competing against at the Worlds. And, yeah, they were still high-level black belts, but not not to the level of – you know, like a black belt winning worlds in the 90s is probably 
equivalent to just like a average blue belt nowadays. Like, I mean, that's just a very vague statement. Yeah, I'm yeah, not, yeah. I'm not actually yeah. making that comparison, yeah. but you know, you can't argue that nowadays, like you, you literally do come across white belts who do two jujitsu sessions a day and a strength and conditioning session, you know, yeah. and they do that every single day. You know, they train from the beginning like professional athletes. Whereas back then, even the black belts didn't train like professional athletes. And that's just the standards yeah. and the stakes have been raised. Mm. As well, these days, there's all of the stuff online as well. Like if, if you're not doing your two classes and your strength and conditioning, you're sitting at home watching escapes and takedowns, solutions. Yeah, right. You're you know, like getting flooded. That, with, the, yeah. the detail in the rear naked, the detail in the thing, you know, like you're just picking it up everywhere, you know. It's almost too much information. Mm. It definitely is too much information. Very overwhelming. You struggle with the most simplest exactly. instructions. Like yesterday we did a guard pull. I, I didn't even know that you could guard pull. <laughs> you know, that was the thing. Kieran's like, I thought my strategy was blast double guillotine. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I blast double and then get guillotine? Yes. Yeah, yeah, correct. <laughs> yes. That, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, There's certain people I just won't blast double anymore because I'm like, I don't want to be guillotined by you. It's, it's not worth it. Who's, who, always, who always guillotines you? When I go for a blast yeah, double? Yeah. Joey. Joey always yeah, wraps fuck it. Fuck Joey. Yeah. I hate that dude. <laughs> God damn. Joey's still got I, I don't know, Dave, because you, you, you know, you briefly said the last couple of months have been so busy at work, so you haven't been in the gym. I'm not sure if you're aware of are you aware of the bounty that Joey has on his head? No. No, so, I'm not. So, you know, Joey gave him his black belt mm. back um end of November, right? November the twentieth. <laughs> November the twentieth. There you go. You did the event the for us. You yeah, catered the event. Yeah, I remember it well. <laughs> right. Food was great. Food. It was fucking amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. So, but Joey has put this bounty on his own head mm. that is the first person to submit him since he's been a black belt, not included, like this offer doesn't ex extend to other black belts, unfortunately. Yeah. But the first person to tap him. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. The first person to tap him as a black belt uh, wins a free dinner. So, uh, yeah. and now like even in Nogi, he wears his black belt. Like that's how you know that the, the bounty's still up for grabs. And so people are hungry for it, bro. Like yeah. Anthony had him deep in a heel hook that he, yeah. he got out of. And, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, Kieran's like after it because you know, a roller before the bounty, you know, like Joey made a mistake and Kieran just like jumped on the back and ripped the rear naked choke and got him. It's the and, only time. You know, so. Like him, yeah. it's there and to the point where Joey's even like, man, I just need this to be over and done with. Yeah. Like the yeah, longer it goes yeah, yeah. on, you know, but yeah, there's a bounty on Joey's head that you can win yourself a free deal. I mean, probably the least appealing prize for you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say, what is that? Is that like entree main dessert? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. You know, where is, is this? Like, where is it? Yeah, canapes to star, you know, <laughs> yeah. where's it go? Is it I said wine? It. I don't know. I said What's it. on offer here? Yeah. I said it to someone and their response was, oh, but does the dinner have to be with Joey? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can I, is it a not. plus one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I take a coupon. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Dave, we're going to wrap it up there, cool. bro. I know you're uh, a busy man. Thank you so much for coming on the Thank show. Thank you. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, yeah, it great. was really good. When can I see you back in the gym? Now that on, oh. on, on video, <laughs> on recording. I did make. I did a call out for the 
earlier this week yeah, where no, I tagged everyone in the WhatsApp group who I haven't seen training you this tagged? year. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I have done sessions no, no, this sorry. year. I, did, you know. I, didn't, I, I, I have. I didn't I got say a, I got a gentle ass whooping off Karen, <laughs> I must mention. No, sorry, who I said I haven't seen enough. I haven't seen train yeah. enough. Uh, yes, you were tagged. And then lots of people said, oh, back this week. And even right before we started tra- recording, I said, Dave, when are you training? And you said, this week. I said, what day? And you said, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I know I've made more comebacks than Rocky Balboa, right? <laughs> um, I don't know, tonight. Okay, let's get it over with. Let's get it over with. boys. <laughs> so just for our audience, if anyone is out there listening, is in Sydney and wants to get in contact with you uh, to inquire about your catering services, mm. where's the best place they can find you? I don't know. Like, isn't Instagram the new business card? You know, 100%. like Cook and Waiter. Uh, there's a Cook and Waiter UK, so just Cook and Waiter is the Sydney one. Yep. And um, and Food Rascal, there's only one, is um, is is the thing. Um, other than that, there's websites, there's Food Rascal website, there's Cook and Waiter website. I don't know. Like just, just I feel like you kind of need to be invited up. by Dave to to have, <laughs> have the honor of him catering. You know, it's kind of oh. like super prestigious. It's like, no, 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 like we'll contact you. <laughs> Our people will call your yeah. people. <laughs> yeah, so you can find him on uh Cook and waiter on Instagram. The food you do have to watch Instagram. out. You do have to watch out for giving that air about yourself. You know what I mean? Like, like as if you monitoring clients as if do we want you? You have yeah. to watch out. You yeah. know, without looking like a dick. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I said, I said earlier on. I don't know what I'm going to do when you can't do my events and whether that I'm comes when, when, yeah, when you, <laughs> you sell the business are or, down at or the or gradings. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> or the day, the day comes where you can whoop my ass in the gym, and then now you no longer like that's what why you've been doing. Well, like, I'll get oh, you I'm, to do the catering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely yeah. not coming. Ads. <laughs> Ads, come on, we need some. We need a buffet on Saturday, mate. <laughs> uh, on, right. that, on that note, thanks so much for listening everyone and and dave thanks again for for being a part of the podcast thank you very much catch you guys 